I started these interviews, a lot of women would respond because I have a mainly female audience and they would say, yeah, um, that guy sucks. Or this guy was like this, like, how come he didn't explain more about this situation? Like he's going through so much, but he didn't explain it. I'm like, that's the point. That's as, that's as far as he can explain by just giving you all of the details of his hardship. He's not going to add in with more color about how he exactly felt about those things, but you can create an idea of what those feelings might be like high anxiety, lots of fear, like that this person is going through these survival-esque notions, right? So, and then from there, you can ask if this person is more of a logical person that just wants to drop down all of these details, ask for elaboration in those details. Don't try to change the conversation and be like, well, how'd you feel about those details? Just keep asking for elaboration. And eventually those feelings will come across, but just spoken in a different language. And I think that's the key to understanding. Welcome back, everyone, to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, a space designed to help redefine what it means to be a man in the modern era. Our hope with this podcast is to support men on their journey towards becoming the best possible version of themselves by providing insight, support, perspective, but most importantly, a safe space to live authentically with a community of conscious kings. Every week, we will take a deep dive into topics such as toxic masculinity, men's mental health, personal relationships, conscious leadership, and powerful guest appearances. Men, we see you, we hear you, and we are standing tall beside you every single day in the arena of misunderstood masculinity. Let's get into today's episode. What's going on? What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I'm your co-host, CK. And it's your boy, Anwar Ahmed, aka A-squared. And today we have yet another powerful guest coming on our show today. Her name is Amanda Chen. She is a working on being a retired entrepreneur turned storyteller, which she is incredibly skilled at. She runs a podcast on her own called Miss Amanda Chen Show, which inspired us through her series called The 100 Masked Men, where she interviews 100 men anonymously, which we're definitely gonna dive deep into today. We're very excited to have this conversation so we're going to give her some space. But before we do that, you always know what time it is. Move. Check. What's going on, my people? Let's start today with Amanda. Thank you for being on the show. How are you feeling today? Thank you guys for having me. I am feeling joyous today. I'm in a really good mood. Joyous. That is a, that is a beautiful word, joyous. I can't remember the last time I actually used the word joyous. It's kind of sad, hey? Mm-hmm. I know. I know. I feel like it's a bit of a playful, like childish type of like, just joyous, just happy. Um, I think the, the world sometimes gets too, too many responsibilities to feel joyous. Um, but I'm glad that you are feeling joyous. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I, you know, I can feel the pull. It's hilarious when we ask these mood checks, I can feel the pull to be like, why are you joyous? And it's in this, as if it's not enough to just be joyous. So I'm not going right? to ask you. You're just <laughs> joyous. That is beautiful. Um, Anwar, how's your mood today, brother? I am. I had a, I'm not going to lie to you guys. So Friday, I think Friday at like four o'clock, uh, I went, I went to my, my bedroom and didn't come out until like this morning. So mm-hmm. like I've spent 
maybe like pretty much a whole day and an evening just in my room. The only time to come out was to go to the washroom, get some food, go back. I just hit a wall. I was just like, I just don't want to talk to people. I went into the dark hole and just, you know, so today I'm feeling refreshed. I feel like I haven't mm. been around people or spoke for like so many hours. Um, I like kind of threw my phone away. I was just like watching, binging YouTube, watching like singing shows and like, just like the voice. I don't know if anyone else does that, but like, I love watching <laughs> these like singing, these singing shows where like this, this 12 year old who's just like, hi, I just want to sing. And then she opens her mouth and it's this massive voice. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so inspiring. Um, or like a 40 year old is like, I had to raise my kids and I had to give up my dreams. And then they come on and then they just have this incredible voice. Um, I always find those things inspiring. So I binge watched a bunch of that. So I'm feeling really refreshed, actually. I'm feeling like I want to be among the people again. I want to talk to mm. people. Um, so I'm excited that, you know, this is the feeling I'm having and we have such a, you know, tremendous guest to talk to. So I'm feeling excited. Usually I'm like tired out of talking, but like, I felt like I haven't talked in so long that I'm like, let's go. <laughs> um, what about you, Kyle? How you doing? I love that. I, I, I resonate with those shows. One of the running joke uh, with my partner and I is that whenever we see what is the one show i think it's uh, agt america's got talent whenever we see like a clip from that she always pokes fun at me because for some reason that show that show just cuts deep i don't know what it is the show hits my it feels like it hits my soul i don't know what's happening i'm puddles sometimes like it's such a weird experience no yeah no i've I mean, you're like, it's just instantaneous. There's something about those yeah. shows. It's just like, cause it's very human and it's very talented. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's very like everyday average person off the street with ridiculous amounts of talent. So I think it's extremely relatable. Um, mm -hmm. And um, when they get such a heroic response, like it just feels like you're, you're one audience away from, you know, getting a heroic response in your own life. So I, I don't know, something about it is very like, very inspiring it's always been uplifting for me to watch those type of like shows or anything that's you know in that kind of realm um mm. or a backstory of somebody making it or something like that um it's always kind of inspiring mm -hmm. absolutely amanda which one's your favorite there's i think there's what there's the voice agt uh i think there's the masked singer now there's so many x factor mm -hmm. america's, america's got talent what's the other one um what's yeah. that one with the cartoon is a cartoon one the one where like they they like the it's a celebrity underneath this like this, oh yeah like, the mask the mask singer i think the mask yeah 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 to be honest i don't watch tv or okay. youtube or or youtube music. Um, wait hold on or listen to music i'm like in this crazy monk mode right now where i cut out alcohol meat dairy um music tv movies sex masturbation porn literally every single distraction and every day i find a new thing to let go of so yeah um wow. when i used to watch tv i don't know maybe america's got talent i guess i'd say um but i do i do resonate with the feeling for sure but mm. i've been on a, a crazy detox from uh dopamine <laughs> i guess no so, kidding yeah. yeah and that really for me sparks the feeling of joyous for you yeah Wow. So how long have you been doing that? So when did you, when did you cut it off? Cause you know, I, I, I've spoken on this podcast many times. Kyle knows me. I am a hard, like cut something out and see how you feel type of person. So I do this periodically. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've gone to that monk state where I'm like, I do everything all at once. Like I'll do like coffee gone, 
like, you know, like alcohol or whatever. I don't even really drink anyways, but like anything like that, eliminate those temptations, sex and masturbation, eliminate those temptations. I do Ramadan every single year, which is 30 days of basically like trying to find your monk state, um, Mm -hmm. social media gone. Like I'm a hard cutter in that. When did you start this process and what kind of inspired that? So yeah, I do a lot of hard cuts like that as well, like on and off, you know, when you just think you've done enough of something, you're like, okay, I need to just detox and and cleanse myself and then come back to it. Um, The one time I really stayed disciplined to it was when I did a 10 day silent meditation retreat in Mazunte, which is just off the coast of Oaxaca. And I've never really meditated that hard before. I would casually meditate for like 10, 15 minutes. And then I was like, oh, I have to do this all day, every day, (laughs) or a whole 10 days. Can't look at anyone. I can't, I mean, not even allowed to read. So Mm -hmm. literally all I had was myself and we had a full vegetarian meal there. And the first couple of days I was like falling asleep because we were, we couldn't have coffee. And that was a big thing for me. Um, when I came out, I was so excited to have, you know, bacon and eggs and a coffee. And that just didn't feel good with me anymore. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize how much I was asleep without caffeine or with caffeine. So now that I'm without it, I hop out of bed. You know, I started to adopt all of these really amazing habits. Like I'd start um, doing yoga immediately or meditating um, voluntarily. And I just thought, wow, like, let me just keep welcoming all of this and see what happens. And then, you know, I had a drink and then I was like, no, don't want that anymore either. Had some eggs. And I was like, nope, don't want that anymore. Um, And it just kept continuing. And I just had this I guess, childlike desire to see like, you know what, did I even like all of these things? Or was I told that I was supposed to like these things to be cool or to be part of society or to be accepted? Um, So now I just walk around and and test, do I actually like the things that I'm doing? Why am I here? Do I want to be here to be seen, to look like I'm, I'm cool, I'm hip, I'm happening, or do I actually like it and want to be here for my own purpose? So, yeah. Amazing. It's so incredible. That's such a a admirable journey I, I know from Anwar and myself and from I'm sure a lot of people listening we're trying to always find ways to optimize ourselves and, and it's funny how often we still look for ways outside of ourselves to optimize mm-hmm. ourselves when be just being with ourselves is probably the best way to optimize ourselves exactly. uh, so so I love that you've been on that journey and there's so many things that we could pull out of that I, I know I heard a lot of great 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 opportunities to have conversations around especially the validation conversation that one would be huge um, but before we do that, um, first and first of all, before we even move on, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Um, mm. just to, just to get my mood check in there. Uh, I just, so we, people are like, wait, how's Kyle feeling? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm feeling uh, overwhelmed. Uh, there's just been a pretty heavy week in, in Calgary and just all of the, the navigations that are happening, all the new moves. Um, it, it's pretty, in, pretty intense. You can, you can just feel it in the air of just everything that's going on. And it didn't realize that it was overwhelming until yesterday. I felt tired for no reason. Uh, or at least it felt like no reason. So we're navigating that just a little bit of overexhaustion. But outside of that, I was really excited to come into this conversation today. So as soon as we jumped in, Anwar and I were full of energy and I could just feel that this was going to be a really great conversation. So um, so getting into it, uh, before we jump into the conversation, uh, Amanda, we want to give you the space to kind of go through who you are and and what you do and what got you on this journey. So take the stage. Amanda, who are you? Why are you on this journey? Uh, and what brought you to your point today? Mm-hmm. Who am I? I think that's such a great question. I used to think that there needed to be a very concrete answer for that. When now I realize it's just a bell. It's just who am I? It's a reminder for you to ask the question and maybe not receive the answer. 
And I guess that is kind of how I look at my life today, where I am not seeking answers. I'm just on the journey and I'm here to just share the story as I go through that journey. So I was originally a journalist and I think I'm coming back to those roots now with um, the hundred mass men series. Um, I'm an entrepreneur turned to hopefully retire person that's just living remotely in a small humble town in Mexico. And um, yeah, I'm here to hopefully get us to see past all of the expectations that we set onto ourselves, see the origins of where that came from and to find the beautiful stories that come out of that. Because at the end of the day, it's always a story that um, pulls us all together. And I hope that we can change that narrative to a more positive, introspective one than one that's um, been externalized uh, for, for most of the 20th century. I really, I really like your, the, it's funny because we're about to get into a little bit more of like the masculine space, right? Specifically mm -hmm. to talk about that. But often I even else find myself in, you know, my friends or my peers will come to me and we'll talk about the podcast and the, and, and the work that we're doing. And the reality is, is that like, I just genuinely care about people and I care about like the, the, it's like, I care about more about like how you spoke there, you know, just the overall life. It just happens to be that we thought this topic needed more light and this needed more specific attention and that it's the masculinity thing. But like, I'm not here to just be like, about a mass, I'm not a masculine coach. I'm just like <laughs> a people coach and happen to see a problem within this one space so that I've kind of directly um, have felt with. Um, I've, I've felt a lot of problems from, and it's interesting because it's like, it almost feels like if you're speaking about ma masculinity, you can't like care about the bigger picture. You know, I feel like really what we do care about is the bigger picture and everyone finding their own story in their own lane and being like, okay, we're really confused about this section. Let's shed some more light on this section here to help you ultimately find your own lane. Um, so to shift gears a little bit to, you know, from that holistic type of approach of who Amanda Chen is, why are you inspired to do a series on masked men? And, and why did you do it anonymously? What, what made you go from I want to be this person to, I'm going to focus on this small little area here and shed more light on it. Why do you mm -hmm. think that you were, you know, gravitated to that space? Yeah, I think I was a very um, aggressive entrepreneur before, and I needed to always prove myself, I felt like. And I also felt like I had to prove myself because I'm a woman and I had to fight for all women and women's rights. And I worked on a lot of female empowerment initiatives back in Toronto, but I always hit a wall where I had a gap in improving relationships with men for a lot of the, the women I was working with. And I had to reflect on that and realize it's because I don't have a good relationship with men. So here I am projecting more hate. And that means I am hate if I can recognize what that is. So we're not getting any better if we're just moving the blame from one person to another and isolating others. So I thought, well, have I invested any time in understanding men? Absolutely not. I've just been throwing the blame at them. So I thought at least I'll give myself a hundred hours, interview a hundred men that are outside of my circle of networks. So that way I'm not biased in my opinion on what men are like anymore. So that was kind of the beginning of it. The reason for the anonymity is this kind of was born out of the pandemic when the debate of whether or not we should wear a mask was good for you or good for others. And then I wondered, are we wearing a bunch of invisible masks where the debate again, is this for you or is this for other people? And 
that was kind of what began the masked men series it was anonymous because I originally thought I was going to be talking about women's issues and I wanted to collect male allies. And I thought if I was going to find male allies as the middle ground to hopefully get to the toxic men, because no toxic men are going to listen to me. So I thought at least these guys would be the, the, the bridge between us and hopefully help us out. And this was my mistake because here I was hoping that the heroes were going to be not me, you know? So eventually I realized that you are your own hero in your own journey. And it is really about finding that peace in your own relationship with how you value relationships, how you look at what men are in your life, what you believe that they should be like in your life and how you're going to interact with them moving forward from that. So it's been an interesting journey from what I thought I was here to educate men on women's issues and hopefully get them to turn into allies into finally seeing them as they are and learning how to talk human to human with people. And from there, choosing to change what our perception of relationships are, what our value is to relationships, and how we can change those in our daily interactions. You speak so much to the journey of how to go through that process, right? And I, you know, we've gone through your stuff and, and researched you a bit and, and read up and obviously listened to your podcast and I think we're getting a very well-developed and wise Amanda Chen here, right? Which is beautiful. We definitely get the, the beautifulness of that and not to counter the old Amanda Chen by any means. So let's not get ahead of ourselves here. But uh, I think it's so powerful to hear somebody talk about how their intention felt so pure at this one point and everything completely changed and it worked out for the better anyway. And I guess my question coming from all of that stories is, do you feel like you still created without the intent anymore of it, the allies that you were looking for? Yeah, they're just a different definition of allies. Before mm -hmm. I thought they were going to be men that I could lean on. They were going to be my security blanket. And then I realized, you know, maybe I need to redefine what fear is and what am I actually afraid of? And how is one other human going to protect me from this fear of life itself? Not really, right? So actually what I'm seeking for is comfort. What I'm seeking for is support, is for someone to just see me the way that I am, not to see me as someone that they feel inclined to take care of, right? Not someone that they, they feel like they need to provide for because then we're attaching needs and expectations and standards to others, which we will never be able to fulfill. So yeah, changing that, bringing in true allyship. You know, I spent the last year um, only focusing on male platonic relationships, right? Where, especially with, with hetero um, men that I spoke to, at least like the large majority of them, you know, how do we break that immediate consideration of sexuality within speaking to people of the opposite gender and, and sexualizing the other person for your own validation to prove like, am I still likable, right? Like that's actually the reason. It's not that you actually want to be with this person. And how do you end up trying to please the other person just for that acceptance or validation? You bring up such, such profound points there. Um, you know, I know through my own experience, there's, there was a time where I decided I didn't want to um, engage in the opposite sex in any type of relation. You know, like I didn't, I just well, I wanted to kind of just be in my own lane. I wanted to work towards what I was working towards. So that naturally was like everyone who I come in contact with will be my friend. Like there is no option, right? So, and what I noticed in that, and I had deleted social media at the time too. So any kind of, 
you know, pre preconceived like sexualization of people was all gone. And it was just, I was dealing with what I called at the time, soul to soul. Like I was, I felt like I was seeing people for their soul. Like they would, I'd approach them and I'd see nothing, but like who they were, you know? And then I'd mm -hmm. talk and we'd figure out their problems or we'd find a relationship and we'd build a bond on something that was so much stronger than that. The funny part about it is, you know, the women that was, I was encountering at that time wanted a relationship with me because I wasn't seeing them in that sexual capacity. They were like, this person is actually wholesome. Like, and I was like, yeah, I just don't. And I remember talking to my guy friends about it and they, it was actually hard for them to process. Like they actually couldn't understand what I was talking about. Um, but you had mentioned something there about um, going to men and trying to understand the language and not being like you were like if I just get a bunch of people on my team essentially recruiting right converting right is the space mm -hmm. that you were in in the original like you were like if I just convert I'm always going to be facing a team that's not converted so this is this yeah. isn't going to work is it is it <laughs> safe to say that like instead of trying to run around with labels like you're toxic you're good you're toxic you're good and using your communication style to figure out that you chose to go how can I have a communication style that just explains what I think and what you think. And you were like, I'm not here to label. I just want to be able to figure out how can we figure out what's going on here and move on, you know, versus running around with stickers. Cause I don't want to generalize. I do feel like there's a lot of women out there that are just like running around with stickers. And I've, I sometimes had tried to have the conversation. I get slapped with the sticker that says you're toxic. And I'm like, that's not even what I was going on. I was trying to have a conversation with you and you just labeled me and now we're done. And I'm like, you're writing off. And I'm like, I never even, we never even got to the conversation. Cause I felt like all you wanted was to label me in the first place. You didn't even want to actually hear what I had to say, or um, is it safe to say that that's a process that you kind of went through where you were like, I was running around with stickers. And then I was like, this is not working. Um, how do I talk to these people um, instead mm -hmm. of label? A hundred percent. And I think in, in that concept, like we have stickers of one label and then we run out of those stickers, but those, those are the stickers that you're bringing outside. Right. Versus if you didn't have any labels, then there's a, there is no selection of labels. Right. Um, I think people that come with a perceived notion of labels only have one label. It's good or bad. And in that experience was really like removing what good and bad even means, you know, like who's a good person anyway, and who's a bad person. Originally, I was looking for men that um, could adopt a similar lifestyle to me. So I was just looking for feminized men. I was looking for men that had gone through similar issues that women have. So maybe they've gone through a physical abuse. Maybe they've gone through some situation with a power dynamic. And then I thought, why are those feminized experiences? that sucks. That means all women are traumatized with all these horrible experiences. And here I am trying to dig up the, the few men that also have these traumatized experiences. I'm like, but I don't want to do this. So I realized I didn't want to support that mentality that in order to be, you know, this strong feminized force, I had to endure so much adversity and thrive from it. And then find all these other people that also were able to thrive from it, from other um, oppressed spaces. And I was like, no, this isn't what I want. So I changed the script from specifically targeting guys. Um, I went from targeting a guy that was, you know, sexually assaulted. I went from targeting a guy that was accused of sexual assault. You know, I went through all of these different types of guys that I like deliberately seeked out to then saying, you know what? No, you just have to identify yourself as a man. However you view yourself as that. And you have to be open for a conversation. And that's it. 
And I think that really helped with the masked men portion in the sense that like, no one knows who you are. So it doesn't matter. You can speak the truth and you can be as honest and whatever you want to say, because it's not going to come back to you. And there was a beauty in that anonymous factor where like there was a relief. And then I got these really deep conversations that I don't think you'd ever get talking to someone that had to wear their, their mask, their personalized mask and present themselves in a certain way. You'd never get to that deep conversation unless you're like multiple years into some kind of deeper connection with them. There's so many men out there I know that uh, are not willing to have conversations like that. And that's why I think for me, when I heard about the, the 100 Masked Men series through Tether and saw that come up, I was uh, incredibly excited to see what that would look like and what that would unfold like. Because like you said, it gives men a space to not have to worry about whether there's a mask on or there's a mask off. It's just just the pure and raw form of who they are. But even in that sense, did you feel like there was still some resistance, even though they knew that they would never be able to tell like, hey, this is me? 100%. There was a lot of lying going on. Mm. Like they still wanted to present themselves in a way that I would like them at the end of the day. And then I realized, okay, I can see this as a trend that men want women to like them, whatever the situation is, whether they're like attracted to me or not, it doesn't matter. But any situation you're in, you des- you generally want the person to like you. You want the cashier to like you. You want mm-hmm. anybody you come across to like you. So I thought, okay, then how genuine are you every single time you interact with someone if all you're looking for is that approval? And then I thought, am I doing the same thing? Am I choosing guys that I want to like me back? So I had to change that and bring myself to a space of neutrality. And when I started to speak differently, where it wasn't about like, oh, what do you like? Or what do you like to do? I started to ask who you are, you know, what your upbringing was like, um, who are the people closest to you? What is your language of apology? That was a cool one that I started to ask, you know, just different questions. What did you, what do you find about yourself that is the most attractive versus what do you think other people find the most attractive about you? You know, asking these just more calculated questions get you to think outside of who I am now I'm not I'm just the voice asking these questions now and then I get to to get some more authentic answers after that but I had to start with that too I had to start with looking past the human my friends let's talk about mental health and the sponsor of this podcast this episode is sponsored by tether a peer-enabled mental health and well-being platform for men. Tether helps men find meaning and purpose through community, accountability pods, and a 24-7 support network. Tether invites us all to be a part of changing the face of masculinity and letting every man know that struggling and vulnerability doesn't make you any less of a man. It simply makes you human. And for me, I've had a lot of personal experience with this app. I've used it many times. I've shared a lot of vulnerable moments. I've shared some strength moments, some exciting moments. The app is open for everyone to simply just share. And like I said in the introduction, a peer-enabled space where we're supporting each other without any pressure to fix, just simply to honor each other's journey. They also just added in a conscious content section where they're sharing podcasts they're sharing blog posts it is a really powerful space so we really want to implore you and encourage you to download it from the app and google store it is tether t-e-t-h-r available on both app stores join the community i promise you will not regret it 
touch on something there that leads me perfectly into my next question. It's the, I had to do something. And in, in one of your episodes, you say, I had to learn that courage and vulnerability best comes out when I express those characteristics myself. I can imagine this wasn't you know, easy for you at the beginning to have to you know, go from a place of, let's say, interviewee to Hey, let, let me, let me join the therapy session, you know, like, let me join whatever this session is, um, mm -hmm. instead of being here with a clipboard, just trying to diagnose you, you know, and it sounded like you found a lot more success when you joined the therapy session, or you joined the, 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 the space that you held, um, versus just holding the space and being like, all right, go ahead. I've, I've created this beautiful space for you to speak. Um, how do you think that that, you know, cause we talk here on this platform, a lot about vulnerability, which is something that I think men are working really hard to try to get to. Um, but there's also a little resistance. Like, are we ready for vulnerable men too, right? Like, are we, is the world ready for vulnerable men? We keep saying, let's be vulnerable, be vulnerable, be vulnerable, but are we ready? Um, what are your thoughts on just your, your experience with that, holding the space, but then actually joining the space? And then where do you think that we are at with, you know, vulnerability and like whether women are actually ready to see vulnerable men or the world is ready to see vulnerable men? I don't think we're ready for vulnerability on either front. I still get awkward when I see people cry, you know, and I worked as a coach and I worked with mainly female entrepreneurs and they would cry at almost every session. And I still am not used to it, which just shows how long it's going to take for me to unlearn that. I remember when some guys would cry on my show and I didn't know what to do. So I tried to break the silence and start asking more questions. And I was so compassionate. And then I was like, wow, I don't know how to behave, you know? And I, I learned just to provide more space, just stay quiet if you don't know what to say. And eventually that person will come to terms with their feelings and continue, right? They will resolve. And I think it's when you force something is when you create that complication. And when I started these interviews, a lot of women would respond because I have a mainly female audience and they would say, yeah, um, that guy sucks. Or this guy was like this, like, how come he didn't explain more about this situation? Like he's going through so much, but he didn't explain it. I'm like, that's the point. That's as, that's as far as he can explain by just giving you all of the details of his hardship. He's not going to add in with more color about how he exactly felt about those things, but you can create an idea of what those feelings might be like high anxiety, lots of fear, like that this person is going through these survival-esque notions, right? So, and then from there, you can ask if this person is more of a logical person that just wants to drop down all of these details, ask for elaboration in those details. Don't try to change the conversation and be like, well, how'd you feel about those details? Just keep asking for elaboration. And eventually those feelings will come across, but just spoken in a different language. And I think that's the key to understanding. But if we don't understand that language, you're going to keep wanting the other person to come to your language. And no matter what, like you're never going to be on the same road with that. And I think a huge thing that I learned about was living in Mexico. Like I don't speak Spanish very well, but we have sign language. We have other words that we can point at, you know, before we end up defaulting to Google Translate, you know? And I think this has really been helping me look at all of the different languages that we can speak that are nonverbal or that are just a one word that just, one word that means so much more. And, you know, one thing about the English language is it's beautiful, but there's only one word for vulnerability. There's only one word for love. There's only one word for hate. When there's like 20 words in Spanish for love, 
right? It just depends on that context. So I think that's another thing that um, sometimes we are so literal in what we want to express. And all we need to do is just ask, ask for elaboration. And that, that just kind of diffuses the whole conversation. You know, it's not that I'm forcing you to get into details about your feelings. I just want more elaboration on what happened. And usually that comes off a lot more positively. Uh, there's a few questions that I have that come out of that. I think the first thing that I, re I recognize when you're speaking about language is how quickly uh, we are to demonize certain words, uh, and mm -hmm. especially because we only have one, right? Like you said, and I, I didn't realize that in Spanish, there were so many different dialects available for one word, which is beautiful. But for us, you know, I, I definitely know that some words like love and like vulnerability, and um, especially for me, the word truth, uh, we've definitely demonized those words, unfortunately, in our Western society. But there was one word that you said in there earlier uh, in the conversation, you said the word unlearn. And I know that a lot of people struggle with this idea of unlearning uh, because it doesn't really make sense because for a lot of people, they're like, what, what do you mean unlearning? What I haven't learned anything. I'm stopping this behavior. I'm not unlearning. But you use it specifically in this context of just trying to navigate this space with men. So I guess my question first lives in what did, what did or where did you learn the thing that you were unlearning? what taught you that or who taught you that in this space? Where do you feel like you learned that from to be separate from? A lot of self-reflection. Honestly, I think meditation is the biggest form of unlearning by just acknowledging what you have been learning and by discovering where that origin is and being like, is that even true? Where did that come from? You know, like why are people telling me that I shouldn't go out at night in Mexico, but I can go out at night in Toronto? Why is one environment safer than the other? In all instances, if you go outside in broad daylight, you can potentially get run over by any vehicle that wants to run over you. You trust the entire, all drivers in the world to follow the traffic rules. That's a lot of trust that you're giving to people, whether it's this time of day, this environment, darkness, whatever. And yet, like you said, whether it's words, we're putting priority or um, importance of certain places, experiences as more important than another. You should be more careful about this situation versus another situation when in all instances, there is always that potential that you can die from anything. So why are there some things that are more dangerous than others? And I think it's crazy that we put in so much importance over like, oh my God, this feels like I'm going to die because it's an emotional problem that you're seeking and actually like you can physically die in any other way and yet we're attributing so much importance to like revealing our true feelings as like it's a it's a form of dying you know and interviewing so many men and realizing that they never had that space it does actually feel like dying there's so much pain and having to express your feelings that you have been repressing for this whole duration of time so the same thing on a, on a woman's point what have, what have women been repressing their whole time is their, their exercise of freedom, right? And that's why they're so angry at men because they can exercise their freedom and independence and they actually, they love it so much, you know? I mean, of course, who wouldn't? And I can see that, that jealousy. And it's like, oh, that's why we point fingers at men saying like, oh, you guys can just do whatever you want. That's not the case. You know, it's not about the fact that you're being oppressed or repressed. It's like, 
that's your thinking now. You've made that decision. That's a choice now that you're going to continue thinking that you're repressed. If I continue thinking that way, I wouldn't leave the house. So I do believe in some level that I do have freedom. So it's, it's really up to you in choosing how much of which concept you believe in. Then you start to unlearn those things. You start thinking, okay, why am I afraid walking out at night? Let's try walking out at night. Let's see how far that's going to go. Okay. I'm, I'm afraid of roads that don't have lights. Let's try walking that way, but in a safe way. Right. And eventually you'll know, Hey, it's actually safer to walk out at night when no one's there versus it's more dangerous to walk out in broad daylight when there's a lot of people there because of different reasons. Right. So actually nothing is true. Nothing is good. Nothing is bad. Nothing is right. Nothing is wrong. Everything's an experience. And then once you have that, you let go of all outcomes, all expectations, because literally anything can happen at any instant of time. And now who cares? You don't have like anything that you learned now doesn't matter anymore. And there is something really liberating about that, but terrifying at the same time, because it's like, you know, the, the truth hurts in, in the sense of it completely dissolves the world beneath you. And you're like, what do I do now? Like, how do I navigate around the world? So I think that part is the, the biggest scary part of when you learn about that. Um, I think you need to find a lot of compassion in yourself to accept like, hey, I, I followed an old view of life and I'm now okay with accepting this new method of life and, and I'm going to make mistakes and that's cool. But at least I'm knowledgeable about that now. I'm aware of it now where before you kind of just like, absent-mindedly following whatever you think is right. Mm -hmm. And you speak, you spoke directly to the idea that we demonize the truth, right? Cause as mm -hmm. soon as you said that the truth will crumble things beneath you, it's like, yes, your floor might crumble, but you're about to land on something that's a lot more powerful and a lot more genuine and a lot more raw. Cause the ground beneath you that you, that has been built or you've built uh, is, is fake. It's not real. It, it will crumble at any point if the truth is allowed to seep through and in that sense, it's, it's playing on the idea of fear, but specifically what you spoke on there too, is the fear of death, right? There's this, this big fear of death that's being played. And that's one, I, one thing I believe is why we're so afraid of the dark, uh, because the dark represents death um, for a lot of people and fearing the dark, whether it is in a actual physical way at night, or whether it is uh, the shadow version of ourselves, that that darkness is a scary place and can be. But what that creates specifically something that I learned in uh, Aubrey Marcus's podcast the other day was what he called death portal. And he used this specific phrase death portal because there was a death of self that was relating to as if it was a portal into a newer version, into a elevated version. That's the specific language that he used was death portal. And I love that because it sounds as if your journey through this space with men and with yourself has included and been, um, faced with a lot of death portals and a lot of death of self and death of previous versions, which really does speak to the unlearning, right? One more question before we move on uh, in this context of being open, safe space for men and unlearning. Obviously, I think we know that generally speaking, we're men. We know that women are more likely to express their emotions, more likely to connect, uh, more likely to want to communicate. And that stems a lot from our childhood and the openness that you were given to be able to do so. And naturally, I feel like that would create a idea that, okay, if I can do it, then that means I can probably hold space for other people. 
And then something I feel like was learned along the way that may have stopped even you from starting to express your feelings and your emotions that may then create a block for other people to share with you. Do you find that there was something specific that you were learning along the way that caused you to struggle or have a challenge with accepting other people's emotions? And what was that journey like for you? Yeah. What I learned was there was a shame for being feminine and there was reward for being masculine, right? And masculine traits as in being powerful, being independent, being free, being the provider, being the dominant, all of these things, being someone that is a little bit more cold, reserved, less emotional, mysterious, you know, all of these things. So it doesn't matter which gender you are. If you adopt those principles, apparently you'll do better in society, right? Like, oh, that mysterious person, we don't know what that person's like, let's hire them, you know, or that person just seems more confident, more assertive, let's hire them, right? Those people end up being more desirable. So when I interviewed a lot of men that were like, I'm the nice guy, but I had to pretend to be a bad guy because I would get the attention from women, right? And, And they start projecting that. And then women are like, oh, we like assholes because- we can't, we don't understand them. They're mysterious, whatever. Right. So you end up learning to adopt that mentality. And when I was, what I was conflicted with was bringing that masculine energy to other men, but not being one. And I wouldn't get the reward because I'm not a man. Right. So I wouldn't get the same level of perks as other men were. So that was really annoying for me. I was really jealous about that. And then I realized, okay, well, what if I, I flipped that? What if I started to be more feminine? What if I was able to encourage other men to be more feminine? What if I was going to remove the shame of what femininity even means? Why is it not cool to be girly? Why is it not cool to have a conversation that lasts 12 hours about whatever? Why is it not cool to talk about your hair and, and frivolous things? And then I realized like, oh, we, we are in the society that wants us to drive capitalism, consumerism, business, wealth, power, all of these things. Duh, that's why we're in this space. And that's why the whole world is struggling with expressing our emotions because it's not cool to do that. And we need to collectively realize that it is cool to do that because we have these better connections with people. We don't have to sexualize each other. We don't have to see, what do I offer you? What do you offer me back? It's not about that. It's not competitive. We all exist here in the space. And that way we can finally see what love is because my biggest issue, I think I felt, um, throughout the series was the concept of love and needing to prove, you know, prove that you deserve love or prove to how you want to express love or how you want to receive love when love is just the air we breathe. And whenever we receive love like that, just as a breath, we don't know how to accept it. And I think that was the, the saddest thing for me to receive through this experience to know like there's so much love just floating aimlessly all around us. And here we are still starving ourselves. It's like we're sitting in front of a buffet saying like we're so hungry and just not taking any of the food. I, I feel like that I, I, I want to talk about this forever and I, I hate that I'm going to continue it, but the conversation is so powerful and I love this idea of, of communicating between the two. Something that I was speaking to my partner about, about this idea of um, our we ready for vulnerable men. I think you spoke about it beautifully is that no one is ready for vulnerability anywhere. Um, but specifically, we know that in this context of this men's mental health space, 
that a lot of men don't feel like there's a safe space, right? With that being said, and everything that you said, do you feel like the the filters that you started to have to put on in order to succeed and survive and, and be a placeholder in this society, did that create a sense of looking at emotions and emotionality and vulnerability in men? Um, do you feel like you now saw that as a weakness, like they were no longer as strong or as capable? No, but I see where that concept exists. Mm because the feedback I would get from other female listeners would be like, oh, like I still want a man to be a manly man at the end of the day, you know, and they would still reaffirm that. And it's like, well, maybe we should all question why that is attractive. Why are these things being celebrated? You know, why do we measure somebody's worth based on what's in their pants? And and what even is a manly man, right? Right. It's absolutely silly. So, um, I started to really deep dive into non-binary folk to see people that were experiencing gender division on both sides to see how, how silly it is. You know, we're judging people on, on a dick size, you know, it's ridiculous. And then it's like, well, who created that? You know, it's a lot of these projections were made from, from men. And then they have to fulfill it themselves. And then they're competing with each other. And then women are supposed to be the validators. They're the gatekeepers to continue that thought process. So when there's one woman that doesn't follow the script, who's like, oh, no, I actually want you to be super sensitive. And I, and I believe that this is still attractive. No one's going to believe that one anomaly. Mm-hmm. She's just like a random person that's never going to be real so you can't accept that so the idea is to really create that collective space and that's what i mean by it's not going to be acceptable for a really long time because there's still going to be normal men and normal women out there that want to follow the script because you want to be normal you don't want to be outside you don't want to to be this aloof person that no one understands or agrees with and it's really hard and i think that's that's one thing that I really appreciated when I interviewed a lot of a lot of the men on my show is like they actively chose to be an outcast. And if they're going to do that and they're going to have the courage, courage to do that and express themselves as much, I better have enough courage to be an outcast too. So I couldn't sit on the fence and, and sit on my high horse and be like, okay, well, let me tell you what to do. These are, these are the things that women want to see. No, like women also don't know. And Women also need to admit that too. We all need to admit that we don't know. And then we can get to a better place where it's like, I don't know, you don't know either. Let's figure that out together and draw out our own version of what that looks like rather than if it agrees or doesn't agree with the natural script that we've all been provided. I mean, something that you guys both, you know, did a great job of talking about, I would like to go back and shed light on is this concept of, you know, simplifying it down to this idea that, it's about love at the end of the day, right? It's this like this concept that it's about love, right? And, you know, often I hear, uh, you know, I, I'll listen to people that have achieved a lot or, you know, they've, they've gone through the ringer and at the end of it, they're like, listen, it's about love, you know, it's about love. And these people that you listen to have this inner peace, they speak about it being about love. So in your mind, you're like, yeah, it's about love, it's about love. And then, you know, something that we shared on our platform the other day, you realize that, men as like a group of people they're the ones that are having to go to this buffet and realize that like you can just go get the love because it's not coming to them like it's not it's not coming to them so they actually have to like realize that you have to create it for yourself um where you know chris rock says you know dogs children women are loved unconditionally men have to are loved based on the premise that they provide something you know and i think that there's a lot of truth in that um 
as a general saying, how do you think that, you know, what are some ways you think that men can find this love for themselves and not depend on it from other people so that they can actually get into a headspace of realizing I don't need external things to validate love. And now I can operate in a better place. Like I can actually operate with empathy and compassion and uh, vulnerability and not feel like my masculinity is being challenged all the time because there's this yin and yang, be very manly to get the girl. Um, and then there's like, I don't feel love. Right. So for me, it's like the quickest route to that is be very manly, get love. You know, like that is the fastest route. Um, I want a manly man. I feel like I'm deprived of love. Two plus two equals four. Like I just become that person, you know, and I feel like we need to break the cycle. Right. But how do we advise those men on breaking that cycle? Like, how do we, what would you say is feedback that you would be like, this is a great start, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that's really hard because you're right. You, you fuel that, that two plus two equals four model over and over and over again. So why would you ever choose a different model? And I think I experienced this recently when more women were asking me out of all of the things that I was cutting out, cutting out sex and masturbation and porn, they would ask me like, don't you miss it? And then I thought, well, why do I miss it? Why would I miss it more than what anyone else would miss it for? And then I thought, oh, people are thinking that I'm choosing not to do this because I'm restricting myself that maybe I've had tumultuous relationships, I'm hurt, and that I'm choosing to not have sex for a while for my own self-care. In some aspects, that definition is true, but in the act of choosing to not do something, you're giving yourself a restrictive energy to not do something and actively have to stop yourself if you feel, feel these feelings, which means you're still admitting that you're at a mercy to your physical nature of how you feel, right? Which means nothing changed. But if you change your perspective to say, I'm actively choosing to not look at other beings in a sexual way, I'm empowered in the space that I am not at the mercy of my physical needs anymore. Then you can have beautiful relationships where sex is not the tool anymore, where sex is not a way to prove whether or not you're in a relationship or not. I used to have sex because I thought that if I didn't have sex, we would break up and I wouldn't have a boyfriend tomorrow, right? Like these are the ways that I would have sex as a tool for love, the same way that other people might use love as a tool for sex, right? Whatever it is, sex was the outcome of something. Whereas if you remove that, you are so much more liberated that it's not tied to sex. It's not tied to your performance. It's not tied to whether or not you have this relationship anymore. And that way you can have deeper connections that you've never explored before, but you need to want that. And you need to reframe your mind to realize that you are no longer restricting yourself, that this is an active choice that you want to see other people without having to sexualize them. And you want to see what that life looks like, but it's so easy to just default back to the, the regular life where everyone else is going to give you the same validation for what you've noticed. So yeah, it, it takes immense strength and courage to choose that actively for yourself for sure. Um, so yeah, I don't know the answer, but all I know is you have to want it to, to move forward to that. And the, the results are amazing if you choose that, but you got to believe it. And the way I think of it is like miracles exist everywhere. Like everything is a miracle, but you need to believe in miracles for miracles to exist. Something that you said in there that was, uh, I think important to note is there at the end of the day, what it really took was a language change 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that for a lot of my life, I never really realized how important language was. And we keep talking about language in this conversation, but it really is the driving factor to how we feel about the choices that we're making. And if we even do decide to make those choices real and conscious and your language shift there basically was the same idea, just different language in the sense of it felt more empowering, but it was just, it was the same idea in a way. Right. And so what I recognize about my own language, when I work through some of this stuff is uh, the idea of manifest is whatever I am speaking on, I am attracting. So whatever I'm including in my space is what's going to continue to come to me. So if I say I'm restricting myself, then I will feel the feeling of restriction and I will attract more restriction in other places. And just that general sense of, but if I were to say and open up myself, uh, an example I always use is the idea of uh, getting out of debt. If when I know I used to always speak about it in the sense of uh, my goal is to get out of debt. But the, the goal of getting out of, out of debt is attracting more debt because I'm including this language in my lifestyle, right? So I'm attracting it, even though I feel like I'm fighting against it. Uh, and what I'm not doing is attracting what I want, which is financial freedom. So to now change the language to, I want to be financially free, or I am going to be financially free, that language shift says, oh, okay, this gives me uh, what feels like a more empowering mindset, more empowering goal, just simply by switching the language. Yes, that still means that I'm going to get out of debt because I'm going to be financially free, but I'm not no longer talking about debt because the more I talk about debt, the more debt comes to me. So it's the same thing with what you're talking about is the more I talk about that resistance, the more the resistance is going to find me. But I find it super fascinating to take a left turn is that you included the idea of sex. And sex is such a predominant influence in all of our lives, as you mentioned. And one of the biggest things that you talk about in your podcast is the idea of consent. Yeah, Consent is a big conversation and it seemed to be a recurring theme. With this space, obviously, I think a lot of men are, from at least my experience, not overly willing to have a conversation about consent. It seems to be a tough one, uh, one that is, there's a block, there's a wall up, not really this idea. And then we end up creating this idea of not hashtag not all men, which is a tough one for sure, because it obviously doesn't speak to the solution. It speaks more to the problem. And so when you were having these conversations, we were listening in a bit, and it seemed like it was a tough one. Why do you think the communication line uh, between women and men in this space uh, is so hazy? Uh, And do you believe that this topic alone kind of demonstrates how our communication system is broken? Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm so glad that you brought this up. Consent no one knows what consent is. Even women don't know what consent is. And sometimes women give consent without knowing that they're giving consent. And that's what creates a lot of problems because there's not enough of a conversation on both sides. Consent means- Can you give an example of that? Because I feel like uh, first people listening, it might be better if they have like a tangible, be like, wait, they give consent without giving consent. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. So for example, if let's say- I'm with somebody and we're in the bedroom together and we've had sex before. Right. And the last couple of times, one thing led to another, right? So we went from kissing to, to having sex. Right. And it was fine. This time there's a little bit of resistance. Right. And instead of saying like, Hey, is everything okay? You just kind of continue going for it. Right. Thinking like, well, if she wanted to say something, she would. So I do feel this kind of 
weird resistance, but maybe she's being playful. Who knows? I'm just going to make these assumptions and then go for it. Right. That's the normal concept of consent being disregarded. And I think what we don't think about in consent is that is what happens on a daily basis for a lot of women in relationships. We don't talk about consent in relationships. We talk about consent in a one night stand. When you are on a date, you go to someone's house and then someone's like, okay, it's on now because we've now left the bar and we're now in someone's house, which means sex is on the table. We're going to do it. And then it doesn't matter how it gets done. So the, the sex is going to happen. And then after it, maybe the sex was kind of mediocre because this is the first time you guys have hooked up. And then she's like, oh, I felt all these things. And you're like, oh my God, at which point in time did I miss the message? Because I thought one thing leads to another leads to another. And we're so focused on that script that we receive from popular media that, oh, okay, if it doesn't work, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. She's still here. She didn't walk out the door, which means there's still a chance for me. So maybe I just got to try differently. Maybe got to smooth it out. Maybe I got to do this, da, 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 da. But we're not having a conversation. Men are just throwing different tactics. They're going to keep pulling out new tricks out of the bag and hope that one of these things work. What ends up happening is one of these things work and she goes, uh, you, you get the green light, but actually she's just tired at this point. She's like, okay, it's 1am. Like, what am I going to do? I'm going to stay the night because this is just going to take too much work for me to make a whole kerfuffle right now and leave at one o'clock in the morning. It's kind of weird. So I'm just going to stick, stick around, maybe kind of have this, this sex and then feel shitty afterwards, unfortunately. Or the, the, the one diamond woman will, will leave at one o'clock in the morning, but usually that's not going to happen, right? She's already made that decision. She's already come over. She's already, you know, ready to do this. She wanted to have sex, but something in this, this moment didn't work out, but she's going to side sweep that and say, yeah, I'm just, I'm just in a weird mood. I don't know. I'm still going to go forward with it because I've already committed this far. And that's another thing with everyone in relationships. You've committed this far. So you better be having sex regularly, I guess. You better be getting married soon. You better be taking those engagement photos, you know, like, might as well you've made that commitment so i think that's the sticky part of consent is it's wrapped up in your conception of a relationship and you know you've, you've been with this person for x amount of time x amount of hours now you've been fooling around this bed i guess it's, i guess it's time to have sex like really don't want to but he's already pulled out four tactics you know i guess we should do this because i don't have an excuse i don't have a reason to say no so i think that's the weird part of consent that we don't talk about enough we're so used to the like blatant I said no. And he didn't really, he didn't uh, deal with that. And that happens. And that's just straight up rape. You know, I think everyone is very clear on that concept. It's the, 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 what I would say, non-consensual sex, which means it just wasn't communicated. That doesn't mean that you gave it or didn't give it. It's just non-consensual. And the fact that like, it wasn't written out in sand. And I think that contractual discussion is what a lot of men are fearful of. Cause they're like, what am I supposed to do? Like, draw a five-page report and have you sign on the dotted line, like how extreme does this need to be? And at the end of the day, both sides just need to feel safe. It's not about enthusiasm. It's not about like someone grabbing your, your stuff, you know, like it's not about the physical activity or physical expressions because a lot of us are faking that because maybe we're pulling up a mask because we're afraid of, of actually seeing the truth because it's hurtful to be like, I don't want to have sex with you. I don't know why. I just don't feel like it right now, but I am attracted to you. Super weird, but I just don't want to have sex. How do I have this conversation? Super awkward, right? But that is the most honest you can be. But how many people have ever had that conversation been like, hey, let's just stop right now. This is weird. I'm just not into it. You're going to immediately think there's something wrong with the relationship. You're going to either get angry 
throw the person out, you know, and we don't want to do this. We want to just be okay. And then like finish the night. So then we kind of just obliged to having sex and maybe both sides don't even want it at this point because it just got super awkward but no one's saying anything and there's that you know there's that that two-headed type of conflict too right on one end it's this idea of fear of rejection right and Mm -hmm. then there's on the other end it's like the lack of words to communicate that this Mm -hmm. is still good it's just not good right now you know like that's such a confusing way to communicate and that could get so that could get taken so out of context in such a, in, in such, in, in the wrong ways. You know what I mean? You said about earlier, you know, love being just love and hate being hate when there's so many other definitions of it. I feel like that space also holds that true. Like where, you know, you can take something and I'll give an example here. So I remember someone telling me one time we were, we were in a car, a situation happened. They weren't understanding the situation, but I had understood the situation. So I had changed my voice. I was like, Hey, we need to be doing this. And she shut down and she looked at me. She was like, don't yell at me. And being like a basketball coach and stuff, I'm like, I know what yelling is. Like I've gotten like a whole gymnasium to be paying attention to me. Like I didn't even raise my voice. Like, I was like, what do you mean yelling? Like, and I got super defensive. I was like yelling at you. And then when we, chopped it up after and got, it was like she said that my tone changed like that was what her original definition of yelling was was my tone had changed and she took that on as like I was yelling at her but I didn't actually yell by the definition of yell you know I was mm-hmm. literally just a tone shift you know but that simple confusion can spin you out you know like now you're accusing me of yelling I've never yelled before like what's going on here. And then you could just go your separate ways and be like, you said I yelled, I didn't yell, screw you Bye. when really it was a conversation of your tone changed, your tone changed. And I didn't like the tone change. And I didn't like how you were talking to me. I didn't have the right words at the time. Yell was the best thing I could think of. And now here we are in a, you know, in a confusing situation. Um, Now going back to consent, I think that could happen so easily. That could happen so easily where I just say, I don't want to have sex. And that defines everything else now. Like nothing else is outside of that definition. You know, you can't, you can't think of even one thing outside of that definition. You're like, what? I did this. We did this. We've opened up. We've had this. And now it's like, no, it's just, I don't want to have sex. Right. And I feel like that conversation, people are just skipping it in general. And that's where you get to this non-consensual sex thing you're talking about is that's what I would like to say. I know that's going to steer this ship completely left. So I'm just going to just have the sex because that's almost easier. Um, And then a lot of us don't take that as non-consensual sex. You know what I mean? And that's what you're trying to highlight is that it's not only in the, the clear no camp. There is another whole camp of, I didn't want to have sex and I had sex with you. And, um, I heard you on one of your podcasts say that like you were trying to advise these men to straight up just be like, Hey, I want to have sex with you. And I could hear these guys resistance to that. Like, they're uh-huh. like nah, that's not going to work, fam. Like that is not <laughs> like, what yeah. do you mean? You were like, listen, just go up to her and be like, Hey, you know, I physically find you attractive. I want to have sex with you and just like lay it on the tables. And every single man you said that to was like, nah, that's not going down. <laughs> that's not going to work. Um, do you still believe in that method? Or like, what do you think you've learned from like the allergic reaction to you giving that as advice? Um, do you think that that's the method? Is there a smoother way to do that? What do you think? 
you know, after the fact now I understand that massive resistance because as a woman, I did that. I would just walk straight up to a man and be like, hi, I'm physically attracted to you. Would you like to have sex? And you know, nine times out of 10, it'd be yes. Easily. I didn't realize my privilege as a woman that, you know, because as a woman, we have been taught, you know, with patriarchy that we don't have the choice, but truly we do. Right. Obviously. Um, and so that's why I was kind of like, why don't you just do that? What is it with us? This like segue into being nice, being your friend and doing this and doing that, all of these things in, in just what to avoid being creepy or to avoid being direct or whatever. And it was my own perception that if a man came up to me and was like, trying to chat me up in whatever way. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like number 27 of tonight. This is so annoying because he's number 27 for me. And I didn't realize that I was projecting my conception of what, you know, being number 27, like, Oh my God, I'm 27. That wasn't even the top 10, you know, like this is this whole night. And, and I was creating this persona of my own unworthiness. And, and that's when I'm realizing that I still do believe that that should be the conversation that you should just get straight up to the point. You should be as intentional as you can. You can say like, I would like this to be an intimate conversation an intimate meeting of the sort so that it's all clear, you know? And you can ask this in different ways. You can be like, are you single? Are you available? Are you interested in a romantic situation? Are you interested in a sexual connection? You know, we don't even ask that. We hope that one thing leads to another that leads to another. And then it eventually does that. And then we prioritize the sexual connection as the top tier right? You can just be acquaintances. You can talk for a few seconds. You can be friends. You can talk for a couple hours. And then the best one is when you guys have sex, you know? And it's like, why is that top tier? And changing that relationship, realizing like, why why do I care so much about the sex part? And I think in my exploration of this sex conversation, I realized a lot of guys just want to get the approval that they can have sex with her, which is through those those, those means, whatever they are. And unfortunately women are like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to have sex with you now. Like, I like you. And he's like, nah, just kidding. I mean, not kidding, but like, I just wanted to know that, that you would be okay having sex with me, but you know, I'm not really interested in you. I just wanted to know. And, you know, moving on. And I think that rejection after she's approved of you is the, the biggest pain that a lot of women are feeling. And that's why a lot of women that were in my position, were just like, just say it straight up so that you didn't have to waste my time. But the real conversation is stop trying to get approval at the top tier result being sex. Just get approval of a human to human level. Like, hey, you're a nice person. Cool. I got that validation. Awesome. Don't really want to talk to you after this. Cool. Leave, you know, or you do, or you really want to have sex with this person and be like, I don't know how, how do you want me to, to continue? Do you want me to say it straight up? Or do you want me to be nice about it? And like be your friend and then da, 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 like have a conversation about it. And this is what I believe in a collaborative space where you come up and say, Hey, look, I'm really attracted to you. You know, I want to have sex with you eventually at some point in time or explore that potential. (laughs) How do you feel about that? Are you cool with that? If you're not cool with that, let's just not talk about that. And I'll move on. It's so much easier and in no way is that creepy. But I think a lot of people are just like, Oh my God, that just, I've never done it before. I've never seen other people do it before. So again, it's that unknown factor that's really stopping us. And I think just speaking to a lot of non-binary folk, like that's really helped me understand that like, sometimes I talk to um, a lot of the straight community, they'd be like, oh, do you accidentally ask someone that's not a man if they want to be on the show? Cause your show is about masked men. How do they receive it? 
Good question. I've got a lot of guys wrong because they weren't guys. They look like guys, but do they look at themselves as guys? Maybe not. And it's about going there saying like, hey, this is my intention. This is what I want to talk about. If you do not identify as a man or you don't think you have something to contribute, that's your opinion. I can't be mad at that, right? But we end up attaching so much expectation. Like, oh, I picked this person out of the crowd. Like they should want to talk to me back. And this was a, this was a huge learning for me where I was like, I, I don't feel anything. Like I don't even need to apologize. It's not my fault that I look at someone and thought that they were a man. And usually they're just like, hey, you know, that's, that's not who I am or that's not how I look at myself. And then they'll recommend someone else to me. But I went out there and I, I was just so transparent. And I, I think if you lead with transparency, you don't often get um, a backlash for it. It's when you come in with that mask is when you have to keep that lie going. <laughs> you have to keep pretending you want to be a friend with this person when you don't want to be, you want to just get naked. Like you should just say that and then hope for the best. And you might be surprised, you know, maybe that person is totally in the same page and was like, oh my God, finally, like there's been so many times where I was like, should we just get naked? Because I'm not really interested in this conversation part or like this friend part, but we're here just waiting it out, you know? So yeah, it's on both sides. It's interesting too. It's hilarious how we've created this idea of like sex being the the predominant controller of society. Really, there's so much that sex has to do with everything. And then we also have this running narrative alongside of it. They're, they're literally running uh, side by side where you also don't talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a conversation. You don't talk about it in partnership. You don't talk about it in, in beginning of partnerships. And at any point, you don't talk about it. Even you know some of the longest standing marriages don't talk about sex. They're just not conversations. Uh, but with everything that you've kind of spoken on, you've had conversations with, I think, 100 men now, right? You've had the full 100 men conversation? I am three three men away. Okay, so, so, so nine, 97 men. Beautiful. 97. Congratulations. That's incredible. <laughs> um, so with the 97 men, uh, con- uh, we mentioned consent is a running conversation. From your perspective and your experience of it all, why do you think the topic of consent or even just having the conversation around sex is difficult for men? What have you found from speaking to all of them about the conversation and seeing the resistance? What, what have you taken from that? What do you think is some of like the walls that have been put up or some of the blocks? It's familiarity. If you have been a man that follows the masculine script, you dress masculine, people know you're manly, you have abs that are visible, you know, you're hopefully tall, all of these things, you look like the traditional manly type. Um, and then someone asks you questions about sex and you're like, well, I've been living this manly life, my whole existence. And I've been doing my manliness onto women in this way. And you, one random woman is now asking me questions about this. This now, um, causes a dent in their own conception of whether or not they've been the right masculine man to all of their previous partners, right? Because I'm now causing a rift in their reality. And it's not that big of a deal, but it is if that if I'm the only one, right? And when you when you start asking about that, it's like, oh shit, like there must be so many other women that thought about this and she's now bringing it up. Like now I have to reconsider everything. So I think when you go on your own like you know healing journey, you've made that active decision to heal. When someone interrupts your, your journey, you know, someone 
asking you about consent or talking to you about something you've been doing your whole life, you you're going to face resistance because you didn't ask for this. You know, I didn't ask for, um, a teaching course on how to, how to have sex. I thought I've known how to have sex my whole life. Suddenly this random person that doesn't even know me is asking me how to have sex properly. Like, who are you? I'm going to, I'm going to re- react in anger. Right. So I can see the resistance, but then there's also the like, oh, but I really want to be likable again with this person. So I'm going to try and, and maneuver around it. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of men are like, I am here to do this onto women. I do the sex to the woman, you know, I penetrate her. So how can a woman tell me how to penetrate properly? And the funniest thing is that's on a physical front. I didn't tell you how to physically have sex with me. I'm just asking you to have a conversation about how we can do this in a safe way which is actually a whole different conversation than whether or not like how you want to penetrate me. That can be another conversation, but that's not what the conversation we're having today. And I think there's also the like fear of loss as I'm like, oh my God, maybe you might not get it anymore. And again, why are we looking at sex as something to be had, you know, as a, as a, as an actual object, you know, where it shouldn't be, it should be an experience that we're actually sharing. So again, it's, it's a reframe on how we, look at things but a lot of men are just like I've done all the things so I'm entitled to the sex now why are we having this conversation which part did I not explain clearly enough and being a masculine person you um, you appreciate transparency you appreciate being able to articulate yourself in a direct way you appreciate other people understanding you so if this woman has said she's understood you and yet she's still asking questions she didn't understand you so how how manly are you in actually explaining yourself in a clear and concrete way. Now you're not. Now you're like totally second guessing your whole masculinity. And that's why um, you meet that resistance. I think one thing too to add to this conversation that you know we might have might have skipped over um, is this idea of what you visualize as a kid, right? Kyle is talking about the secrecy behind sex, right? It's such a secret. So we all go and learn about it somewhere else, right? Like we, we go and learn about it through other avenues. Unfortunately, sometimes that's porn, uh, it's movies, right? And the things that we are watching and how it's being portrayed contributes a lot to how we act in the real world, you know? And I think that on both fronts too, when you watch as a romantic movie on, on both sides, one, I don't, you rarely see that consent conversation in a movie, right? Like there's rarely ever the consent thing. Um, it's very just like this man being doing the steps, like you just spoke about doing all those steps. And then at the end of it, it's like, she wants this and it's, there's no conversation about it. They just start making out and one scene needs to another. And you're like, oh, that's how it gets done. Um, and then there's the other side of, you know, I think a lot of times women don't think that we're listening to them or we're watching them, but this we do so much studying of what you're saying and what you're talking about. And unfortunately it plays into how we act. An example of that is like when a woman is like, I want, I want a man who can take care of me. We hear that. And then we Mm -hmm. take that on. Um, I want a man who's masculine. We hear that. And then we take that on. I want a man who's smooth and like, is just this and that we hear that. And then we take that on, you know? So there's a lot of times where we're listening to the opposite side and taking on the wrong mannerisms to actually execute what should be done. And the idea of the smoothness of, you know, sweeping her off her feet, things are just effortless is part of this like romanticizing that women do. 
and men are trying to fulfill those fantasies. Like they're trying to be a part of that fairy tale story. You know, they're like, oh, I know what she's thinking in her head. She wants to be swept off her feet. She wants it to be this and that. I'm going to play the character now to be that. Um, mm -hmm. And then what we're, what we're trying to say here is let's throw an awkward conversation in the middle of all of that. <laughs> and that doesn't fit in the storyline or in, this, in, the, in the fantasy world of how we think sometimes. And I think that that also is just something to be unlearned you know like you know that that but that's just a show right like that's just a movie um that isn't the reality and if you feel like there's a resistance greet the resistance with your words you know and not push through it with your actions uh and i think that there is times where it's very clear you know like you, she's into you she's but if you feel like you said there's a bit of resistance then now it's time to open your mouth you know and actually speak about it um, so I think that that's just an interesting wrinkle to add to the, the conversation because I often notice when I'm doing something so like um, automatically, I'm like, I must really think that this is true from something, you know what I mean? Whether it's my childhood, whether my mom told me that or my dad or I watched it, like I'm not even questioning this. I'm just so automatic in how I operate in this space. I must be programmed and I need to like understand what programmed me. And then I'm like, oh, I'm trying to be smooth because I think I'm like Will Smith right now and I'm not Will Smith. So I can just tone this down and just be a human in this moment, in this experience, like you brilliantly painted. So I think that that's a good wrinkle to add to the conversation of just um, get out of the fairy tale that you're playing in your mind and be present and really actually address the situation that's in front of you instead of like, I'm killing this right now. This is the steps that I saw in that movie this one time. I just got to keep pushing through like I just got to see this thing through because this is how the movie went or this is how that show went or this is how my idol that I looked up to would do things you know um mm -hmm. and just getting into the moment so I think that that's an important conversation to add too is just why do you act that way um and challenge that and, and yeah. what you speak to is like the logic of men right like mm -hmm. we're very logical human beings if it doesn't logically make sense then I'm not going to do it or oh, I'm going to just go and find the logic. I want the steps. Give me one, two, three. So I know what one, two, three looks like. But what we're trying to say here is, you know, the hitch is a great example, right? The movie hitch hitch gave steps to how to do this. And the steps didn't actually get a true and deep connection. They just got you the result, which again is what men are so often looking for. Just give me the result. I don't care how I need to get there. Just give me the results. So then all of a sudden it's like, okay, here's one, two, three steps to get there. And in the, in the conversation of sex, it's like, uh, you know, we're still talking about steps, which is a good stepping stone into the conversation. But what happens when the steps don't work? Are you still okay with it? Are you still okay with not achieving this result that you're looking for? Um, are you going to be okay with that and not take it as a sense of, oh, well, you know, I must be not worth it. Or this, this person told me wrong or Hitch was wrong. Will Smith was wrong. Uh, it's just where are, where's the authentic, authenticity and like what you keep saying about is the truth of it all. Where, where is the truth lying in this space? It's wild to me how many men are talking about in, in actual life, the steps that they're taking to get X result in this specific mm -hmm. idea of sex and consent. It's a very, very loud and common narrative. Yeah. I think that's one thing to recognize that you can't have both. You can't have that romantic love story where there is no consent and everything just flows naturally and also have a consent conversation. Mm. So on also on the side of women, like 
she needs to choose. Does she want that romantic story where one thing leads to another and she'll be like, oh my God, I had no idea all these things came together. Then you have to go with the flow and say that you said everything, right? But if you want to have a conversation of consent, you need to first of all, define what that means to you because it could be different for everybody and then apply it. So I think that's, that's the one thing that we both need to recognize that you can't have all of those things. So in order to start a consensual conversation, you have to remove your idea of that romantic story completely and then start to look at your relationship as itself that never existed before. There is no TV representation of your relationship and that's beautiful. Not that it's irregular, weird, unknown, fearful, right? So again, flipping that script. But I think, unfortunately, we're still following the script. We're following the steps, like you're saying, um, in the romantic story to a consent story where you just like shove consent somewhere in the middle of that beautiful narrative. And it's like, oh yeah, we have consent here between, you know, four and five and then six, seven, eight, nine, and get to 10, you know? And it, that doesn't make any sense because you think like, oh, she's smiling. I guess she's, she's into it. That, that was a consent part, I guess. Or, or he, there's a piece of paper, you know, I don't know. Like, is it the condom unwrapping part? Like, which part is it? And again, that's based on an action right? A performative action rather than a conversation that's being discussed. So the way that I differentiate consensual conversations between non-consensual sex is if the consensual conversation happens outside the bedroom. If it happened in the kitchen and then we go to the bedroom, consent happened. If it didn't happen, it was all in the bedroom, which is where the mixture really happens, which is at nighttime when you're sleeping and in morning time, morning sex, right? So those are the moments that I think is the the main culprit of non-consensual sex. Um, so yeah, and the conversation happens in the bedroom when like you're already half naked. At this point in time, you're getting a reluctant conversation because somebody wants a result at this point. And if you want a result at this point, you're gonna say and do anything to get that result, whichever side you're on. So yeah, one, one thing to, to do is just have that conversation anywhere outside the bedroom. I mean, I think we can, uh, we, I'm definitely glad that we kind of had a, a long conversation in that space. We definitely wanted to touch consent. I think we, you know, shed a different lights, different angles. Um, so I'm really happy that that me and Kyle have talked about having this consent conversation. I think it was a lot more impactful having you on here to actually have that conversation because we didn't know how we were going to have that conversation with mm -hmm. each other and just be like, we knew it needed a space. So I'm so happy that, you know, you were here to kind of shed light on that. And I think that, you know, a lot of people will resonate with that and, um, hopefully see themselves in a different light, you know, and it might be uncomfortable at first. Like you said, you might have to be like, oh, I never saw my actions like that. But hopefully that's um, something that, you know, we can improve and we can have um, a lot more conversations around that um, and hopefully get on the same page because I think it's important. Um, but to kind of, you know, segue and kind of keep it in the same kind of ballpark, um, you know, something that you're passionate about is this concept of collaboration over competition and, you know, mm -hmm. allyship um, versus partnership, you know, um, where I think that, you know, something that you talk about in, because a lot of people might see that as one in the same, you know, allyship, partnership, aren't they the same thing? But I like, I've, I listened to podcasts of you, you know, explaining the difference in what you see in those two. Um, dig, a little, dig a little deeper and give the audience a better um, picture of what you mean by allyship and what you think partnership is um, and how this can, understanding this differently could really help solve a lot of problems for us uh, as men mm. and women collaborating together. Yeah. 
I didn't even think about that differentiation, but now that you bring it up, my new version of it today, I think partnership is when you're both working together on the same goal, right? You're collaborating together on, this is our life together. So let's say um, we're together and your ex invites us to their barbecue and they know that we're together, everything's fine. I don't know how often you and your ex talk, doesn't matter. It, what matters is we need to have this conversation and collaboratively agree as partners that we're going to go to this barbecue or we're not. What normally happens is we have this conversation, I can express that I'm uncomfortable about it, and then you'll go by yourself. That doesn't make us collaborative. That doesn't make us partners. So you have to collaboratively together decide you are going or you're not going. Another thing is you guys do go and I didn't express enough that I was uncomfortable. And then I make the whole experience suck, right? So collaboration partnership means you are both aligned on the same page on what you're going to do and you do it together. Allyship, somebody has different privilege than another. So someone can push the needle further than the other person. And that's why you guys are allies. Um, So I have certain strengths and then you have certain strengths and you're going to use those strengths to support the other. So what ends up happening is it's usually the the hero victim mentality. And there's only, it's very one-sided in this allyship where, okay, you're a man, you can hopefully speak to other men because a lot of toxic, toxic men are not going to listen to a woman. Fine. Sure. So you're, you're that middle man. You can help, you know, call out men for bad behavior. Sure. Fantastic. But in that allyship, you also have to see that I can contribute to other women in being more encouraging to talk to other men differently or to stop the toxic behavior and also call it out at different times, right? I cannot only rely on one side of that allyship. So I think first off, recognizing who is in power or who has the privilege in which spaces, because someone will have it in one space and also not have it in the other space. So again, recognizing both of them and seeing like, okay, well, cool. I'm going to be your ally, but I need you to also be my ally for these reasons too. And allyship is when those two things are different partnerships is when they're both the same. So that's how I would differentiate them. Nice. And I think uh, one of the episodes I kind of wrote, I wrote this down, what struck a chord with me when you also explained it in a different context was um, that sometimes when we're seeking out partnership, we're seeking out people that have exact same struggles as us, exact same pains as us. So we're like, hey, I went through this thing, you went through this thing, partnership. Hey, I went through this thing, you went through this thing, partnership. And it's actually Mm -hmm. like limiting our ability to like solve the bigger problem because if we're only looking for people who've had the same trauma as you, then we're not actually attacking the problem as much as we are just like in a small way, finding people that have the same pain as you. Where when you describe your like, allyship is like you haven't gone through this experience with me at all but you understand that this is a problem you know and that Mm -hmm. you want to be a part of the problem you want to or you want to be a part of the solution um and the you know seeking out more allyship in the world um you know in, in in my context you know being black and you know watching everything that's been going on with black lives matter and all of this um it's it's one thing to be sitting at a table with all the people that we know have gone through the pain and the struggle. It's another when the table gets bigger and there's people who are like, we understand that this is a problem, but I'm not black or I'm not going through this problem at all, but I understand it's a problem. Then it feels like, Oh, we might be actually starting to like, you know, 
go against the battle. Like this, this sounds a little bit more um, like a movement, you know, where it's other people are recognizing the pains of others. Um, and I think that when you clearly define that, I think that that also speaks to going not to only look for men who are like, hey, we understand all the women's problems. We understand all the stuff that you're talking about, but finding men that are like, hey, I don't understand what you're going through, but, or I haven't been there or I've never experienced that, but I understand that I need to be a part of the solution. Um, and, and, and I'm here to, I don't know what I need to do, but I'm here to show you that I'm here. Um, that's one of the differentiations that I also like that, that, that you, you made in your episodes. And I thought that that very would be important to, to mention. So that's why I wanted to kind of bring it up, but I don't know if you remember that, that differentiation. I think it was your conversation with uh, Addison um, where you brought mm -hmm. that up. Yeah, hundred percent. And just like sometimes showing up is this all it needs to be. And we don't recognize how easy it is to show up. I remember going to see my friend. Um, it was her first time being a director in this TV show that she was able to sell through. And I just showed up and I felt so happy that I was able to show up for somebody. And here she was like, oh, do you need something to drink? Do you need this? Do you need that? And it's like, no, I'm just here to show up like a proud auntie, you know, and we don't do that enough. And like I just said, by being a proud auntie, like I have to be an auntie, like I have to be, you know, this type of, I don't know, nurturing character to be able to show up for you. Why can't we just always show up for people just to be there for, it doesn't matter what you want. If you just want me to stand there, if you want me to actually do something, if I'm to speak, do you want me to whatever? Like, I'm just here and giving you my space. And, and me, you know, and that way there is no assumption. There's no expectation. There's no outcome. You're just there you're showing up. Love that. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sharing this showing up idea because uh, it, it really, sometimes it feels like it's, it's bigger than it really is. You know, you arrive when, whenever we show up, when we arrive where we are, we're like, oh, okay, we're here and it's over. But it's something about this, like idea of the buildup right? There's this fear that might come through of well, who knows what, I think it's unique to everyone. Uh, but just the simplicity of it all really is um, easy. It really is easy. So I'm glad that you touched on that. So thank you. But in moving into the space of fear with your conversations with men, um, to take a bit of a left turn here, I want to attach to this idea of fear, because even just in showing up, there's fear right? Even in just leaving the house, sometimes there's fear. I mean, especially in these days, there's definitely a fear of leaving the house for a lot of people. Um, but with your conversations in the 100 Mass Men series, uh, something that we recognize within the idea of masculinity is that we don't often associate it with being scared or fearful. So being a masculine man, being a manly man, you're not allowed to be scared, you're not allowed to be fearful, uh, because it does basically what that could represent is that you're not capable of protecting or holding a safe space or uh, you can't be a man, essentially. So with the conversations that you've had, uh, you realized at some point um, from our, our research that fear drives a lot of their actions, uh, rather logic than rationality. Fear is the driver. Fear is often there, whether we choose to see it or not. And a lot of men are not choosing to see it. Why do you think that we neglect the idea that fear is actually present from your research, from the men? Um, and what do you think they're most afraid of? Okay, cool. I think the definition of fear needs to be explained better because the way that we talk about fear is you're afraid that something could happen to you, right? You go outside and then somebody runs you over, you know, something's going to happen. That is the typical fear factor that women go through every day, right? It's like, 
uh, a man approaches her, I don't know, she could die, you know, like, whereas a, a man walks on the street and meets another man, like he doesn't immediately think he's going to die, right? So there's a bunch of other things that might happen, you might go into a scrap, but you still have a chance of living through this, right? So um, that fear factor doesn't exist for men, 100%. Right. Whereas it does for women, the, the whole safety aspect of like the, your own livelihood physically. So the term of masculinity, a lot of the time is about your physicality. If you feel physically fit, healthy, everything, then you should be able to, as a man, confront everything in your life fearlessly. Right. The real fear is in losing that ability. So if you lose your physicality, you lose your health, if you lose your assertiveness, if you lose any of these masculine traits, that is the fear. And somehow in our brains, women are able to take that away from, from men. And that's a convoluted idea. So the, the real fear is that women are going to take away your masculinity by, by bringing you down to your knees, by making you cry, by doing all these things. And that, that's the fear. And the biggest fear is that rejection. Of you. She brings you down to your knees, you start crying, you start being emotional, and she walks out with that. And, and, and now she is empowered with all of that because you believe in your masculine world that there are power dynamics. Whereas in, in, the, in the real world, it's not about these power dynamics. This is just our social world and our social construct and how we look at it. So um, that is the, the main resistance to revealing feelings towards women is she's gonna take all of that ammo and use it against him in whatever way, you know? and. And that I think that's crazy because you're not even fearing your life. You know, it's not like this woman is going to physically slap you. I mean, she could, but like, she's not going to physically like hurt you in a way that like it's life or death. Whereas women walk through navigating life afraid that men will literally, you know, choke them to death, something, you know, like there is an actual biological aspect to that fear factor. Whereas with men, there isn't. So for the longest time, I was very discompassionate about that. I couldn't understand. I was like, no woman can physically harm you to a degree that you can't fight back, you know? So what's your issue? You know, and it, it wasn't very nice about it, but I realized that the fear is in that rejection of, you know, the losing of all of your manhood. And that's not what we're asking for. We're not asking for you to surrender everything that you know about your manliness and all of that. We're just asking you to be a human, just to shut off those layers because nobody cares. No one cares that you stand upright, that you have all your abs, that you have all of these things. No one cares about that because there are so many women out there that are reaching so much to see these humans unmasked. And that's, that's literally all it is. We're just trying really hard to love you, but we're just doing it so aggressively in this weird demanding way that makes it seem like your masculinity is on the line. So I think it's a fear of losing um, something that you already have. And that is actually a reason, the main reason why a lot of men passed on being interviewed for the show is the fear of, of losing something. Because um, if you admit that you have feelings and that you're vulnerable, then you're losing your power in this society. So um, in, in general, the, the mass majority of people that said no were white men because they had more to lose, right? Mass majority of men that were on the show were black men or non-binary men, right? So, and it just goes to show 
um, how interesting that those were the results of like, even though it's anonymous, even though no one's going to know, you still want to hold on to what you think you have in your masculinity. Wow. I think that, that, that has the potentiality for an entirely different conversation, which I think is incredibly interesting. Uh, I didn't even think about in context of like, what kind of men would have said yes and would have said no. So to hear that that was actually a thing, that there was actually some people saying no, but there was actually a specific type of person uh, that was saying no, was super, super interesting and speaks volume, I think, to this conversation that we're having just in general. Um, yeah, that, that, that was a wild, wild, wild fact. Yeah, and, I, and I think that like, even just in our own experience, you know, there's a level of confidence that comes with being vulnerable that like, you know, you have to kind of cross that bridge on your own. Like, I know that this is a public podcast. I know that me sharing like who I am, essentially I am throwing my masculinity into the ocean and being like, all right, like, you know, it's, it's been done. Sometimes the, the episode goes a certain way and it ends and you hit end and you're like, oh man, am I, am I comfortable? You have a little bit of a fight with yourself, even though you've already decided, Hey, I don't care. I'm going to live my truth, whatever, you still have an internal fight. So there's something so deeply rooted in this fear of like getting your masculinity stripped um, and not being able to overcome it, not being able to trust your ability to be, hey, I will overcome what you think of my masculinity. Like, you know, it's almost like once you feel like it's a one way ticket, it's gone, it's gone, you can't get it back. Um, or if you have a vulnerable moment, like you can't get it back. And the easiest, sometimes what happens is the best way to get away from it is whoever you had that vulnerable moment with, cut them out of your life and make sure that they're like as far away from the masses as possible. So no one can find out that you had that one little moment, isolated moment, you push them so far into the deep end, you're like, no way that comes back to me, you know? Um, and it just in like so many different ways, I think we struggle with that idea. So it's, it's, it's very fascinating to hear you know, that is our equivalent of being fearful in this world is getting that stripped um, and losing that, um, especially when you don't have the quote unquote. And it's interesting because, you know, you see men and you see where they're flexing their masculinity. Like some men don't have that back straight and full abs. Right. And, and you're like, well, where's this guy? And then you're like, oh, he's chasing the money thing. Got it. Got it. He's, he's finding it in that realm. And then there's so many different versions of being a man or at least holding true to the fact that like, yeah, but at the end of the day, like I'm jacked. So I could be broke, but like I'm built like a rock. So I'm still a man. You know what I mean? I might not be financially free, but I've done so much work in being built like a man that you can't question my masculinity because look at me, you know, or if you don't have the physical physique, you're like, look how much money I have. You know, or if you don't have the money and you don't have the physique, you're like, look how many girls I pull though. Like, how can I not be manly? Like you see the roster, right? You see how many people I talk to. You see how many, how easy it is for me. So it's, it's, it's the chatty guy. And I notice it's like, those are the three guys you see out there. It's like the, the, the guy who has the game, the chat, maybe doesn't have the money, maybe doesn't have the belt, but he's got the chat. So he's, he holds true the body or the money. And I think we chase those three, like we chase those three individuals as hard as we can. Um, and then you realize you wake up and you're like, I don't got game. I can't speak very well. So I'm just going to train my ass off. Um, or, you know, you pick whichever one you're like, I don't know if I can do that one. So I'm going to just do this one, you know, but we're, I wonder how much we are being honest and just like how we want to feel, you know, like mm -hmm. what we want to do. Um, and I think that 
you said that so beautifully. And I hope that people actually ask themselves that question of, you know, what's there to lose if you feel like you're, because the real power, you're really empowered when someone can't dismantle you, you know, with such simple words. That's when you're really in control, right? Like you're really controllable in my world if you can say something or do something that dismantles me, then like I'm not really in control here, right? And I think that that's what the, the Buddhist and monk and like whole philosophy and lifestyle is, is this idea that there's nothing that you're gonna do that's gonna change me. Only I can change me. And that's like the ultimate power. And I, th I hope that people question themselves of like, how can you attack that fear and be like, there's nothing you can do by me being me. Only I control that narrative. Um, and so, yeah, it's such a big, deep conversation. Like, I think that, yeah, I, would, I like, I got like another motivation. I got like another burst of energy that I was like, I could go for three more hours now. Like, you know, when you're just like, oh no, this topic is hot. I could keep going. Cause I think there's so much there. Like, oh man, are we so scared of being stripped of that? Um, especially when your whole life has been trying to prove that you are. Well, I think what's really cool is that you mentioned those three things, whether it's chatty, whether it's money, whether it's your physical build, all of those things contribute to getting girls, right? Which means girls are the commodity. Girls are the result. Girls are the reason that these things work. So if you don't get the, the girls, then these things don't work, right? So experiencing and navigating through the world today is when these three things are not adding up. You might be all three. You might be the triple threat and you're still not getting the girl. And you're just like, why isn't this working? So again, if you if you remove the sex, if you remove like these, the object of sex as the end result, then it doesn't matter anymore. Then you can, you get to be empowered all over again. Then you can be vulnerable. You can be whoever you want to be and nothing can, can touch you, you know? And I, I think that that's why I'm so excited in my journey now where like sex is off the table completely for me, where I won't be swayed by the guy that chats well. I won't be swayed by the guy that looks good. I won't be swayed by the guy with a lot of, of money. So now what do you got, right? And when I strip away your identity, you're talking to me anonymously. Now what do you got, right? So I think that's when we finally get to talk to a human to human level. And unfortunately, I feel like I get to these deep conversations just on the show. Like I can't get to them without the show piece, you know? Because the showpiece puts us both in a safe place where you know that you get to express yourself. But offline, I don't know if I'm going to get to those, those scenarios. So I'm still trying to hope that I can find them, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah, and what that speaks to that you already know is uh, the, the Tether app, right, that we're a part of is, you know, congratulations, Tether, if you're listening, 10,000 men that they just reached. But it's 10,000 men that are in this space uh, sharing for the very first time in their life. Some of them are 60, some of them are 70, some of them are old men and they are only still just coming to a space in their lives where they're like, Oh, I can share this struggle and it just be a struggle and I can open up to this space and it just be an opening up to this space. Uh, and we're only bridging that level of being okay from men to talk to a man 
I don't even think a lot of us have even a thought of the idea of bridging the gap of opening up to a woman or to our partner. Uh, it's not there yet. So it's definitely, uh, you're definitely speaking a lot of truth there in the sense of uh, you're having a tough time finding it out in the world. And that's one of the things we hope to do with this conversation in this podcast is to open up that door, is to have these conversations be normalized. It's why we start with mood check is to garner that idea of it's okay to just share. It doesn't matter where it is or who it's with. Um, so it's definitely unfortunate to hear that it's been tough for you to find, but I'm very grateful that you've been on this journey to start that and to create that as well with the masked men um, is that at least, because one thing that I believe in is there's no such thing as one-way liberation. So when you're in this space with these men, um, while they're masked, and hidden anonymously, uh, there's still a high level of liberation that you are holding for them and that you are also receiving from them, which you've already known. And that over the course of time, they're going to start to realize they had that conversation once. So having it again is going to be okay. And having it a third time is going to be okay. And so on with whoever that happens to be. But um, I guess my final question on this idea of being fearful of being the, stri the stripping the manhood is, um, from your context, what do you think we can do about that? What do you think is something that we can start to, to move and maneuver? Let it strip. Hmm. Welcome it. You know, it's, it's the fight that's making it difficult. Let that part die and see what that looks like hmm. and be reborn again. Right. But that, again, that's kind of full circle back to the beginning of our conversation of making that choice. Mm. So, yeah. And of course it's not easy. You're going to be isolated. You're going to be disregarded from community, from the collective. So yeah. And unfortunately there is no encouraging space yet for you to go into once you reborn and you're trying to walk all over again from the start. So mm. it is a dangerous road, but at least you get the peace of mind that you're not always in fear of losing something that didn't exist to begin with. And for our, you know, to lead into our final question here, um, it's been the final question that we've been asking everybody. I think it's a unique context for you because um, you've had these conversations with 97 men. Um, the last question that we kind of have for all of our audience is uh, picture a teenager who's, you know, transitioning into their, their manhood. Um, you know, that's a boy that we're going through the boy to man type of moment. And they're, they're, they're feeling the responsibilities. They're feeling like, okay, I got something coming for me. Um, and in this example, you're on your deathbed, you know, and all your research, everything you know about men from your experiences, from the podcast, everything that you know, you're able to give this boy three things to say, hey, look at masculinity, look at your manhood through these lenses. This is the best advice that I could give you. What would be the, your three takeaways um, from all your learnings, from your experience with interacting with men that you would give this boy who is struggling with the idea and accepting the challenge of becoming a man? Okay. As you were saying that, I imagined myself speaking to a little Mexican boy, <laughs> um, kind of like an awkward 14-year-old kid, just like not sure what he's going to do, has a lot of pressures to follow a machismo lifestyle. I would say work on improving your relationship with your father if you still have one or work on finding a healthy male role model. Um, second question, second 
piece of advice would be to find love all around you and not in one person. So that could be through nature, that could be through hobbies, that could be through anything, um, as long as it's not external. And the, three, the third thing is to not run into adulthood too quickly and not want that validation of what adulthood has to offer in terms of being a full secure adult of financially free and of responsibility and family and et cetera, um, enjoy your boyhood for as long as it's going to last. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible advice. Oh my goodness. I needed mm. you around. When I was like 15. <laughs> that is, I am so struck by how hard that hits me that it's like, really? Wow. Like, I mean that like, I feel like if you were my therapist and you gave me that advice, you would have, would have heard my whole life story and then gave me that advice. Like that's, that is it. Like, especially the adult chasing thing. Like mm -hmm. I think I injected myself out of boy so fast that like now often I, I'm like, I don't even know how to play anymore. Like I don't, I've been so removed from being a boy that even when like I, people ask me questions, it's like, I've been so in like a, I've been a father in my mind for so long, like so long, you know, like I've just been looking at life with like, what would I tell my kid? Like, what would I tell my kid? And meanwhile, I'm 23. Like, you know what I mean? And um, yeah, I think that that is super profound. Wow. Deep. hundred percent. Thank you so much for those powerfully hitting words and uh, for answering that question so elegantly. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, just to wrap up the episode, uh, I just wanted to uh, say a final thank you for being with us today and for sharing everything that you did and for being as open and honest as possible and for opening up a safe space, not coming in here and, you know, being the attacking men space or attacking even women's space or anyone not attacking at all. Just saying, this is kind of my findings. This is what I've, what I've come to see. And this is how I've come to grow myself in this process and knowing that it was a tough journey for you too. And then it was a challenge for you too. And that from what I can tell, you're still okay on the exactly. other side. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Uh, where can everybody find you in, in context of uh, Amanda Chen? Where, where are you? Yeah, um, I have really strong branding. You can uh, find me on Instagram at Miss Amanda Chen. You can also visit my website at MissAmandaChen.com. You can email me at MissAmandaChen at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, I'm on all the social channels and every Wednesday I release a new episode of the hundred mass men series on the Miss Amanda Chen show podcast, which you can stream on all of the streaming platforms for podcasts. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you again. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you for holding a space for me today. Thanks, Amanda. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to join us next week as we put out content every single Wednesday. Our goal with this platform is to create a community to support men on their journey of becoming conscious kings. And in saying so, if you took any value out of this episode or previous episodes, please share, download, subscribe. And if you're feeling really up to it, go ahead and leave a review. You can follow us at Modern Masculinity. Remember, the, it's with a K, not a C, to represent the mask that we wear. And like always, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week.